Gentlemen and hermaphrodites, the Vinny Eastwood show is bad news. It's like the news, but worse. It's the lighter side of genocide. Just because we're being exterminated doesn't mean we can't enjoy it. Otherwise, what's the point of being killed? The Vinny Eastwood show. We're the only thing worse than living in a high-tech global police state run by child trafficking Satanists. Is Vinny's jokes. Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to this most auspicious of occasions. It is, of course, in New Zealand because we broadcast uh, live from the future on a, a daily basis. It is 9-11, and uh, we have none other than the wonderful uh, Dr. Kevin Barrett on the line with us. Uh, Kevin, are you there? I am here, Vinny. It's not quite 9-11 where I am here in Morocco, but we're getting there. Well, if that clock is Moroccan, don't come a knocking. Um, we have a uh, how, how many years is it since September 11? I'm even looking at the calendar on my thing, going, "Oh my God, it's 9/11." Um, uh, I remember that shocking day. I was 15 years old and just sitting there, glued to the television, watching these towers come down again and again and again, and. I think my uh, my mentor kind of uh, floated the idea to me, you know, kind of cautiously at the time that it might be a self-inflicted wound. And that got me thinking a little bit. And uh, ever since uh, The Truth and Lies of 9-11 by Michael C. Rupert and Fahrenheit 9-11 by Michael Moore and, of course, Loose Change by Jason Burmes. I tried to get him on this show today, but uh, hasn't responded just yet. Um, it became very clear that the narrative that was being pushed was not the whole truth whatsoever. And it became more like a movie, you know, some kind of a script rather than a happenstance world event. So, Kevin, I'd like you to introduce yourself to the audience, your qualifications and so forth, and uh, and uh, we'll get into uh, your take on this uh, most auspicious of occasions. Well, Vinny, my qualifications to be on the Vinny Eastwood show, I suppose, are that I, uh, I'm a professional conspiracy theorist, not entirely lacking a sense of humor, uh, but in terms of my qualifications for talking about 9-11, there was a physics professor at the University of Wisconsin-Madison named Marshall O'Nellian, who was quoted by the Associated Press in the summer of 2006, saying that Kevin Barrett has absolutely no right to have an opinion about what happened to the World Trade Center on 9-11, because he's a mirror teacher of Islamic studies and Arabic and African literature. Only physicists like me and engineers have any right to opine about what happened to the World Trade Center. So I, I'm not so sure about that because when I first noticed the problem with the story about what happened to the World Trade Center, which was 
in the beginning, right at the end of 2003, beginning of 2004, I was way ahead of almost all of the scientists. And it wasn't actually until maybe 2007, I think, that Richard Gage got the architects and engineers for 9-11 Truth going. And by then, I'd noticed this problem, which you really only need maybe fifth or sixth grade physics to understand, which is that, well, the, the three World Trade Center towers, one, two, and seven, all disappeared symmetrically straight down into their own footprints at near free fall acceleration, meaning that all vertical supports had to have been almost simultaneously or synchronously removed. And had those vertical supports been removed in anything less than perfect time, with perfect timing, the buildings would have toppled like trees falling in a forest. They wouldn't have come straight down through the path of most resistance. This is not something that you need a physics PhD to understand. So, uh, I, I, again, I, I noticed this stuff being an Arabist you know, and, and sort of an expert on North Africa, which is part of the Arab world, and also having you know, Islamic studies as part of my PhD work, I was one of a whole lot of people who saw that the, the official story of 9-11 was dubious from the get-go because so-called al-Qaeda was, we all know, it was created by the CIA to fight the Russians in Afghanistan, and it never stopped being a cat's paw for the intelligence services, the CIA, the Israelis, the Egyptians, the Saudis, and the famous Egyptian commentator Mohammed Haikel talked about this right after 9-11. He said, when I was in the Egyptian government, we all penetrated al-Qaeda. We all had, you know, al-Qaeda couldn't possibly do anything like this. You know, they're under total surveillance. They're totally penetrated. They're just a cat's paw for the intelligence services. So I knew that right away when 9-11 happened. But it wasn't until the end of 2003 that I started looking more closely at what really happened to the World Trade Center, uh, what happened to the Pentagon, the fact that there were no actual hijackers, and things like that. I didn't realize how outrageous the deception was until uh, the beginning of 2004. So ever since then, I've been outraged and shooting my mouth off and doing research and writing and broadcasting about it. And then I got chased out of the American University system in 2006, I, I was made a scapegoat for the scholars for 9-11 Truth. So ever since then, I've been doing alternative media, just like you do, Vinny. And uh, I've done a fair bit of research on 9-11. I have many dozens of books on the subject. And I honestly think that my views about what happened to the World Trade Center are vastly <laughs> more plausible than those of people like Marshall O'Neillian. I, I've never even heard of that person. Could you explain? He's just a random physics professor. Back, back when I was being witch hunted for supposedly being you know, an evil professor teaching conspiracy theories and corrupting the youth of Athens, this was in the summer of 2006. I, I had my 15 minutes of fame from basically uh, July through December of 2006. And so at that point, I was all over the international media uh, as the evil conspiracy professor at the University of Wisconsin. And so naturally, the media came and interviewed people in Madison where I was teaching. And O'Nellian was one of my colleagues. He was a physics professor. And he volunteered this uh, nonsense about how I had no right to have an opinion about what happened to the World Trade Center. 
isn't it interesting how those people who claim that others have no right to an opinion are usually the kind of person who really doesn't have an opinion of their own? Yeah, I, I never understood what his opinion could possibly be because he wouldn't discuss or debate the issue. He just wanted me to shut up. Uh, and this is how it often is with these people. You know, I, I'm willing to talk about just about anything with just about anybody. And I will defend my views. And if you can convince me by presenting a good argument, citing evidence and arguing coherently with logic, I might very well change my opinion. And that's I, I like to listen. On my radio show, I do maybe one quarter to one third of the talking. The other people do a lot more because I, I like to listen to other people and learn from them. But, you know, these people like O'Nellian and other defenders of various official stories, they usually just want to shut you up if you have a, a dissenting opinion. And they're very rarely willing to actually defend their beliefs in a fair discussion or debate. And this is a tip-off that these people may not be entirely sincere in being truth seekers. That they they may, you know, consciously or unconsciously, be parroting orthodox wisdom or you know whatever. It's, it's almost like a kind of a, a fundamentalist religious narrative. They just automatically have to believe what the government says about nine eleven, for example. Because if you don't believe that, just imagine how you know, how horrible that would be. You know, uh, so, so anyway, I've, I've had this problem what, forever now. You know, people what, who won't discuss or debate. What element uh, do you think cowardice plays in this? Because it's it's plaguing mankind at, at present. People's inability to just stand up and say the truth as they see it, because of the very real threat of being ostracized, being demonized, deplatformed, censored, and so on and so forth. But at the end of the day, you have to have the courage to undergo all those things uh, for the truth, because if not, you're just a coward. Right. Yeah, I think cowardice is, is a big factor. And, and it can be conscious or unconscious. It's pretty obvious when it's conscious. There are these people, like my colleagues at the University of Wisconsin-Madison, my, the people I knew that I discussed 9-11 with before I got witch-hunted in the summer of 2006, all said the same thing, which is, you know, Kevin, that sounds plausible and it lines up with what I've seen in the coverage, but, you know, I don't really want to look into this because I'm afraid you might be right. And that, I, I heard that over and over. That's all I heard from any of the colleagues with whom I discussed it. And then once I was being witch-hunted, only a few of them stood up for me in any way. Most of them who had basically told me that, yeah, it looks like you could be right. I don't want to look into this anymore. Uh, all those people just kind of disappeared and kept their mouths shut, with a few exceptions. One exception was the folklore, uh, head of folklore uh, at Madison at the time, Jim Leary, who is a, a very lively-minded uh, character and not a coward. Um, he, he didn't like, you know, he didn't become a raving 9-11 truther by any means, but he kept a big, an open mind and defended me in the media and sponsored an event that we had. Uh, so, you know, Jim Leary was the exception. Uh, so, yeah, he's the, he's the one colleague I had who wasn't a coward. But, yeah, I think cowardice is, is a, plays a big role. And a lot of those people actually know they're cowards. But there are other people who sort of subliminally understand that if they even go there, that their bread and butter will be threatened. Right? There's that, is it Mark Twain or whoever said that it's hard to make a man understand something if his salary depends upon his not understanding it. 
And so that unconscious cowardice is, is everywhere. And on top of that, it's the broader implications. Like, let's say, for example, you had an IQ of uh, 90 or 93, and somebody impresses upon you the intricacies of geopolitics. You're actually not physically capable of comprehending what they're talking about. So on the simultaneous end that you have an element of cowardice that keeps people from the truth, you have an element of just plain stupidity where they don't even have the capacity to reason or understand the truth. And because there's so many of those people, like they're technically the majority, like as uh, George Carlin said, think about how stupid the average American is and then remember that half of them are even dumber than that. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, that's true. And it's it's interesting that with with my colleagues, the problem was not stupidity, right? You you don't get to be a university professor if you're stupid. I mean, you don't have to be all that smart, but you just you can't be that stupid either. So they they're all perfectly capable of understanding it. Uh, there are others who aren't. But I, what I noticed was that some of the people who from less illustrious professions figured this out quickly. Uh, one of my friends, uh, he's unfortunately passed away. Uh, a guy named Mark Wolfert. Uh, of Lone Rock, a shout out to Mark in the other world, may Allah bless him and forgive him his trespasses. Uh, Mark was an auto mechanic. And you know, I, I met him shortly after I moved out to, to Lone Rock in like 2003. And he was an auto mechanic in Lone Rock, Wisconsin, this little village. You know, he had a very humble little shop in his, kind of his garage, basically. His garage was sort of a an informal party place where people would come and, you know, I was the only one who wouldn't drink any alcohol. You know, and uh, hang out and listen to music and maybe fix some vehicles. And he, Mark was a very smart guy. You know, he was, yeah, he, he, you know, he had his issues, but he, he was, you know, he had his own business, so he didn't have to worry about what anybody else thought of his views. And anyway, he figured out 9-11 right away. It turns out, like, the minute he saw those towers come down, you know, he said, no, that's not how the physical world works. You know, that, that's not going to happen from plane crashes and fires. And uh, so a lot of people like that, you know, kind of smart people who are, who haven't joined the system and maximized their income, you know, like like professors. A lot of professors are people who sort of, hey, I can, you know, I can make a decent living and have a pretty easy job. It's kind of fun. And, yeah, some of them, they want to hit on the girls or whatever. There's a lot of advantages. You get the whole summer off. A lot of good things about being a professor. So they put invest a lot in becoming a professor. And once they become a professor, they don't really want to be harassed and witch hunted has happened to me, so they keep their mouth shut. But somebody like Mark, who has his own business, uh, he doesn't care. He'll, he, he'll, he doesn't care what anybody thinks of him, and he's, he was out there, you know, yapping about the demolition on 9-11, probably like the day after it happened. And there are other people I met like that, these you know, smart people who owned cafes. At that time, you know, from 2003 or four through maybe 2010, Every cafe on the east side of Madison, Wisconsin, was owned by a 9-11 truther. The owners of these independent little cafes were all, you know, in a position where they didn't really have to answer to somebody else for their income. And so they would all, you know, they would contribute money. They would 
allow events to happen in their cafes. They all understood that there was a huge problem with the official story. I thought that was interesting that that, that part of Madison, you know, every single cafe <laughs> turned out was owned by somebody sympathetic to 9-11 truth. So, yeah, folks who don't have to worry about where their money's coming from can, can pursue the truth. Well, that's how the uh, French Revolution uh, was partly fomented, is because of the cafes that they had there, the accelerated thinking of uh, caffeine as it uh, works on the nervous system and allows you to process thoughts quickly and make make connections that you wouldn't ordinarily uh, do that if you were just one of these ordinarily sleepy, uncaffeinated people. Um, and... I, I think what's happening nowadays is we have a a forgetfulness, right? Like I'm sure that after a decade or two after JFK was assassinated, there wasn't this big hype around uh, the investigation and and uh, calling out the Warrant Commission and that kind of thing. Are we? Do you think we're reaching into some kind of 9/11 conspiracy theory malaise, or did the 9/11 truth movement actually sort of do its work and, and sort of most people are sort of aware of it now. Yes, I think it had a huge impact. With the JFK assassination, you didn't get that impact really until the early 1990s when Oliver Stone's film JFK came out. So that was about 30 years after the event. And by then, things, you know, the, the psychological effect of it was no longer, you know, it was no longer a recent memory that would really get people's emotions going. Whereas with 9-11, we turned this into a huge topic of conversation by about 2005-6-ish, which is just four or five years after it happened, and emotions were still really raw. And a poll showed that in 2006, 37% of U.S. Americans believed it was likely that the U.S. government had uh, pulled off 9-11 as a false flag in order to get us into those wars. So 37% of the people, that's over 100 million Americans, that's more Americans than ever votes for somebody running for president. So we, we had that, you know, that huge impact. Everybody I'm so sorry to interrupt, um, but uh, just to back you up there, there was also a poll that was uh, released not long after that uh, questioning people's trust in the mainstream media. And it was approximately only 30% of the United States population that was surveyed uh, actually trusted anything the mainstream media said. And so it's interesting that the other 30% completely believe the opposite direction. Right, yeah, I think with 9-11, it developed to the point that by 2005 or six, about a third of the population uncritically believed the official story, about a third tended to reject it or question it, and the other third was sort of in the middle. And uh, I think that actually set off this kind of chain reaction that created this world that we're in now, where... The establishment has panicked to the point that they had to completely revoke Internet freedom. In the U.S., they had to basically overturn the First Amendment. The censorship push on the Internet was something that we never could have imagined prior to about 2015. Because at that, up until 2015, it was broadly accepted in the United States that every platform... Uh, which means a common carrier had to give everybody equal access and couldn't censor anybody. That was just taken for granted. And they would, they would lose their protection if they if they censored anyone. 
Right, well, Kevin, we're going to break now. We'll be right back after the break, ladies and gentlemen, with Dr. Kevin Barrett. You listen to the Vinnie Eastwood Show on Republic Broadcasting Network. Thank you very much for all those donors and sponsors and Patreons as well. Love you guys. Thank you so much. Back right in just a few minutes. Here's some interesting news. Due to all the recent claims about possible nuclear wars, viruses, solar flares, and civil unrest, people are scrambling to prepare and stockpile food. But the one thing out of reach for many is an underground bunker until now because you can now have a 3d printed underground bunker in just one day an excavator digs a hole in your backyard and 3dbunkers.com shows up in a small truck and sets up their 3d printer under a tent completely undetected they can print as many rooms as you want at a fraction of the cost compared to traditional metal bunkers 3d bunkers uses polymer concrete which is five times stronger than regular cement youtube 3d bunker and watch the video. The creators of 3D Bunkers is looking for a business partner that can help bring this technology to the world. And we need to protect our way of life without living in fear. Contact Brad at 3dbunkers.com for more details or visit 3dbunkers.com. Consider this. Dead people see only what they want to see. And frankly, most of us are still dead. Let me give you the lessons of gold and five easy lessons. Number one, don't buy it because you need to make money. You buy gold because you need to protect the money you already have. Don't ever look at the price as a barrier. Look at it as an incentive. Number three, don't buy its paper pretenders. We talked about that a lot. Buy gold. Buy the real thing in the form of coins and bullion. Fourth, don't fall prey to glitzy television or Facebook ads. Do your due diligence instead. And that's what I try to provide you with and have for 26 and a half years on the air and 30 years in this profession. Fifth, don't allow naysayers to divert your interest. Allow yourself the right to protect your interests as you see fit. Jeff Bennett here. One of the ways you can do that is to contact Kettle Moraine Limited. Contact me by calling or texting me at 602-799-8214. 602-799-8214. You can also email me at kettlemoraineltd at cox.net. Let me help you protect your wealth and your family today. Once again, call or text us at 602 799 8214, or visit our website, Sierra Madre Precious Metals.com. Be glad to help you out. Be glad to answer your questions. That's what we're here for. No pressure, just good, hard, common sense. The decision then becomes up to you. Welcome back. Welcome back, ladies, gentlemen, fellow slaves of the Global Plantation, to the Vinnie Eastwood Show. Very glad to have you all with us. And our very special guest is Dr. Kevin Barrett. 
coming at us live from Morocco in the middle of the night. And I'm very, very glad that he uh, was so kind as to spend this time with me on uh, this uh, most festive season of, of 9-11. In fact, Dick Cheney, I believe. Uh, oh, hi, Kevin, by the way. Welcome back. Thank um, you, Vinny. Oh, wait. Um, Oh, sorry, I need you to get to talk a little bit more in order to activate the uh, the camera thingy there. Do you have a website? Are you still on truthjihad.com? Yeah, yeah. If you go to truthjihad.com, it takes you to an Icelandic site where all my stuff is. And then I also have a Substack. stack. I migrated after they kicked me off Patreon. So I'm at kevinbarrett.substack.com. Oh, excellent. Now, um, there was a joke going around back in the day about uh, Dick Cheney, and uh, every year he would celebrate 9-11. You know, he'd put up some cardboard uh, twin towers in his living room. He'd drape uh, uh, Christmas lights around it and have presents underneath it and go shopping with his family, that kind of thing. And one year, uh, the Christmas lights caught fire, and uh, but the towers didn't collapse. There you go. <laughs> I told that yeah. joke to uh, one, of, one of these uh, uh, leftist uh, media commentators here in New Zealand, and uh, he didn't get it, you know. And uh, that's the that's the problem as as well, you know. When you when you're having breakfast on nine eleven, as uh, Larry Silverstein usually did on the top floor of the Twin Towers every single morning, except that morning. Um, which is ironic because he normally orders the pancake stack. Mm. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Now you were talking so you, about you've got internet censorship. You, you, yeah. well, you got a whole nine eleven joke routine. I can tell that you break this out every year. Yeah, he. Um, um, <laughs> he, he it, it's it's a season. It's it's, it's season's greetings uh, uh, type thing. Um, and you, you were talking about internet censorship and 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 how that sort of uh, started to come in with the nine uh, eleven truth movement. And 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 I, I hope to God that they censor my show soon. Like honestly, I don't think the world can handle this. These these jokes. Um, it's well, be careful what you wish for. Uh, but yeah, that. I think 9-11 was the hidden factor that led to this world of Internet censorship that we now inhabit. And you can sort of trace this back to that book by uh, Obama's information czar, Cass Sunstein, called Conspiracy Theories, Causes and Cures. He published that as an article and then as a book starting in like 2008 or something like that. And this Sunstein uh, argued that conspiracy theory, specifically 9/11, the 9-11 conspiracy theory, but it was so dangerous that someday such conspiracy theories were going to have to be outlawed. But in the meantime, the government should infiltrate conspiracy groups in order to, quote, uh, uh, disable the purveyors of conspiracy theories by using, quote, cognitive infiltration. So... You know, Sunstein was already you know, showing that his class of people uh, were panicking about the 9-11 truth movement back in 2008. And he was already looking forward to a day when censorship you know, would be fully legal, when it would, you know, conspiracy theories would, would be made illegal. Now, in 2008, that sounded insane. Nobody could imagine that in the United States, where we have a First Amendment. Likewise, at that time, nobody could imagine 
that platforms on the internet would be allowed to censor people based on their political opinions. That is, you know, the theory was that these are platforms and therefore they're common carriers. And they, just like the telephone company uh, back in 1970, for example, could not say, if you express leftist opinions, we're not going to let you use the telephone. We're going to limit how many minutes you have available or limit how many people you're allowed to call on the telephone. That would have been seen as insane. And likewise, if this Internet was viewed that way as well, there was this idea of net, net neutrality, meaning that every user has to be treated the same. And especially common carriers, anybody that's not basically running a publication on the Internet where they, they edit everything and are responsible for everything they put out there is running a platform. And a platform is a common carrier. And you can't censor. You can't help anybody. You can't hurt anybody. You have to give everybody exactly the same treatment. And that was taken for granted. And in fact, legally, up until 2015, it was widely accepted that if any platform tried to censor anyone or treat any two users differently based on the ideas that they were exchanging, that that platform would then lose its protection from libel uh, lawsuits. They were protected by a certain uh, section of the Communications Decency Act of the 1990s, which said that these platforms uh, are not responsible for what people post on them. Like, you know, Mark Zuckerberg is not responsible for what you post on Facebook or what I post on Facebook. It's a platform. It's a common carrier. And therefore, he's not allowed to treat me and you any differently from anybody else on Facebook. He can't censor anybody. He can't promote anything. That was that was the accepted legal view. And then, in 2015, everything changed. And that was because... Oh, man, we're getting cut off again by the break. I'm sorry, Kevin. We're going to have to go, to go straight back into the 2015 You're listening to Republic Broadcasting Network. Real news. Real talk real people because you can handle the truth corporate media dominates the american opinion finding independent voices that counter this avalanche is becoming increasingly difficult with the endless corruption running rampant throughout our government independent voices are needed more than ever to battle the offensive against our freedoms and liberties as a listener of rbn no one understands this concept better than you Now it's up to you to do your part. The time has come for you to take action and begin broadcasting the truth to hundreds or thousands of people every month. Sound impossible? Quite the contrary. With pointed slogans from LibertyStickers.com, you can reach countless sleeping Americans unaware that they live in a real-life wonderland. LibertyStickers.com has a huge inventory of political bumper stickers and messages that reflect the truth about our government, our politicians, and the future of America. With so many in stock, there's one perfect for you. Visit us today at LibertyStickers.com. Again, that's LibertyStickers.com. Do your part. Your voice is important. Let it be heard. What if Extendivite really works, but you find that hard to believe and you spend precious time looking for someone to say, just try it. I have my help today because of Extendivite, and if I did not take a leap of faith and try it, well, I would be on disability today. Take one bottle of Extendivite as suggested for 60 days to find out for yourself. No need to stop any other meds you may be on. You know by now that they are not working for you. Before the 60 days are up, I know that you will feel Extendivite working for you and will want to take another bottle. Life is too short. Get your Extendivite today. Extendivite is available in capsule or liquid 
liquid form for just $69.95 for a two-month supply. To get started, call 1-877-928-8822. That's 1-877-928-8822. Or visit heartdrop.com. Extend your life with Extend Ovite. Are you one of the millions of people who feel like there is a dark cloud hanging over their heads whenever they're using pharmaceutical drugs? For some, the short-term relief can turn into an opioid addiction nightmare. Have you ever wondered why CBD oil is a billion-dollar industry? It's because it works better than opioids and is actually healthy for you. However, CBD oil is stripped of all other helpful compounds found in the hemp plant. According to neuroscientists, the whole hemp plant, otherwise known as hemp paste, is even more effective than the chemically processed CBD oil. Are you ready to take back your health? You can try hemp paste for the price of a cup of coffee. HempPaste.com slash RBN. Free shipping on orders over $50. See the banners for Hemp Paste at RepublicBroadcasting.org and visit HempPaste.com slash RBN. Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen, to the show that's all about keeping your Luftwaffe aloft. It's the Vinny Eastwood Show, broadcasting live on Republic Broadcasting Network. And uh, Kevin and I were talking over the break about how nice it is to have uh, advertisements to uh, break up the um, the show because then he can turn his air conditioner on, you know. As, uh, so, <laughs> uh, Kevin, you were talking about the censorship uh, splurge of 2015. Please, uh, uh Proceed. And of course, that, that's a rough estimate, but that's when these think tanks started putting out a whole new theory that actually it's okay to censor the internet. Actually, these platforms have every right to censor the internet, even though they're common carriers and they're platforms, not publishers. But we just decided that from now on, there's no longer going to be a distinction between platforms and publishers. And these platforms are no longer going to be held as common carriers that have to treat everybody equally because we want them to start censoring people. And and so where did that come from? Well, I, I think it came from Cass Sunstein and these other uh, think tank types who were charged with figuring out how to try to push back against 9-11 truth. So I think that then, then with the 2016 U.S. election where Trump won by beating up on the media. It was the first time ever that the media couldn't knock out somebody that they wanted to knock out. They tried to knock out Trump, and it didn't work. And a certain number of media people, I think, panicked over that. And so you ended up with this media landscape starting to become more and more censored. And then when COVID hit, they really cracked down because they had that new excuse of, you know, medical misinformation can cost lives and you know you're endangering the lives of people if you allow people to have free speech about covid related issues so uh that's why we're in this covid 1984 world now that you know and i think that the whole thing started really with the pushback against 9-11 truth because you know we had undermined the faith of people in in the media and government narrative 
And it's still going. I mean, it, you know, now that Trump is being charged with like 80 or 90 counts, and he's more popular than ever among Republicans. So about half of the country, the, the more the media beats up on him and the more the courts indict him, the more they like him. So we're in a whole new world. And I think 9-11 was, you know, the 9-11 truth movement really started this process of undermining the faith of ordinary people in the media. And it, I don't think it's run its full course yet, but it's, you know, it's, it's getting really interesting. And, you know, whether things, you know, I, I used to think that we could may have a much better world if 9-11 truth triumphed. And now, you know, I, I think it might have to get worse before it gets better. You are probably right. Uh, the shock wears off and memories are short. And I think what we tried to do the 9-11 truth movement at the uh, end of the first decade of the 21st century, uh, I think was probably really the first time that a movement had grown to such size and such scope that it become impossible to ignore entirely. And uh, I'm not sure if any real grassroots proper looking into the fabric of the conspiracy and geopolitical world had ever had that kind of momentum before. And then around about that time when the 9-11 truth movement appeared to be at its peak, then the flat earth movement, Trump and Q showed up and fractured the hell out of it.
think they can change the world. I think we're talking about a a meta understanding. Normally, people will go into a line of work or career path or cause because they are of a singular understanding about what that cause really is and what it means to them. And I think maybe after you've been involved in numerous causes over a significant period of time, you begin to understand many different causes and strata and your perspective changes and you don't become so myopic anymore. Has this happened to you? Yeah, I suppose. I mean, I I guess I've had a pretty broad view of a lot of these things for a long time. I woke up to the problem with the official story of the JFK assassination when I was still in high school. I think I was 15 at the time, 1974, when I saw Mark Lane give a talk, and he showed the Zapruder film, and uh, and he showed the Life magazine images of the frames of the Zapruder film, and, and they had printed them backwards to try to make the official story plausible. And, you know, anyway, so, so after, you know, from that point on, I was actually pretty profoundly alienated from the American mainstream. So I've spent really my whole adult life, you know, since age 15, being alienated from the American mainstream because of that. And then I researched other things, too, when I was young. So, you know, I, it wasn't like 9-11 took me from being a normal person, a normal American, it suddenly, you know, blew my mind. Although I'll admit that, that you know, the, the extreme deception of 9-11, that, you know, the demolition and such, the fact that there were no actual hijackings, all of that really was, was kind of shocking, even to me. <laughs> but, but, yeah, there, there are all of these issues, and I guess I've known that for, for a long time, and so it's been easy for me to sort of trans, transition out of the mode of being, you know, just talking about 9-11 all the time, which is what I did from 2004 through 2010, 12-ish, and talk about all of these related issues. But they're, they're all part of the same picture. Yeah, that's, it's called the truth. You know, yeah. at the end of the day, the, the truth doesn't have any borders. It uh, doesn't care what your beliefs are or what you think. It, there's only two things you can guarantee about it. There's that it is what it is, and it isn't what it isn't. Yeah, and, and, you know, there's truth and there's truth, right? There's, you know, banal truth that is like, okay, why even bother, you know, to belaboring the obvious uh, and, you know, beating the dead horse and all that. But then there are these truths that are, are not so obvious and that have these powerful repercussions if you accept them. And those are the ones that are most interesting. Like, I, I figure you can actually kind of rate the importance of a conspiracy theory, so-called, by taking, you know, just on a scale of 1 to 10, you know, how important would this be if it were true? And then how likely is it that it is true? So with 9-11, you get, that's pretty much 100. It's really important, and it's obviously true. And there are a lot of others kind of like that, too, you know, JFK and such. And then there are, there are some other ones that start to, you know, be a little lower. Uh, but, but these are the kinds, you know, you, you, these red pill truths, the kind of stuff you, you and I talk about as our, our work, right? These, these are the truths that really matter. And it's, it's kind of shocking how, how people are so afraid 
to confront these kinds of truths. Yeah, that's uh, there's people who are working long hours at jobs they hate so they can buy stuff that they can't afford on credit that they don't need in order to distract themselves from the job that they hate. And it just goes round and round and round. And, you know, sometimes somebody comes into your life and they bring something new to the table, something that you haven't thought about before, and you tell them to piss off, generally speaking, you know, because very few people are uh, receptive to radically new ideas that challenge your world view because your world view is tied inextricably to your sense of yourself you your actual the very existence of your ego ostensibly and so if you tell someone 911 was an inside job when previously they thought the world was all sunshine rainbows and sugar coated cupcakes uh, it's going to be disturbing to the existence of their sense of self and their nervous system is going to react as if you the bearer of this information are actively trying to kill them because their ego is threatened. That's why you get these reactions out of uh, certain people and they immediately go into fight or flight and aggression because they're holding on to the lie that they tell themselves they are, the kind of lie that can melt away and be replaced with truth and make them something so much more but at the same time as the old philosophy goes before enlightenment you must chop wood and carry water and after enlightenment you must chop wood and carry water you know nothing actually changed because we learned the truths we did we still have to live and live with these comparatively to the ignorant heavy burdens mm-hmm. yeah yeah they, they become a heavy burden when you, you first realize these things because I think part of the reason of course that people don't want that burden is you know, they have enough problems already and you know this is like if you know if it's true if you know if it's true what you're saying kevin and it looks like it might be i don't really want to look into this because if i really knew this for sure i might feel an obligation to try to do something about it which would cause me no end of grief i mean that's again that's what i kept hearing from all my colleagues uh when i was first looking into this uh and yeah i I guess i i kind of get that but the uh, you know the flip side is that that inauthentic life you know, may actually not lead you to such a good place. Like you said, Vinny, a lot of folks are in this cycle of consuming and working and stuff and kind of running on a gerbil wheel. And then, you know, eventually you die. And when you die, you you walk off into infinity. Your consciousness becomes eternalized. And, you know, one way to think about this, I suppose, would be it's sort of like a, a dream you know, or a, a psychedelic trip or whatever, that is, you know, if, if you have prepared yourself, you know, if you've, if you've had a, a good day and feel good about yourself and are relaxed, you may have a good dream. And, you know, somebody who's prepared for a psychedelic experience might actually have a good one. Whereas 
you know, somebody who's, who's all full of anxiety and has, you know, feels guilt about all the bad things they've done and this sort of thing, they may not have such a good dream or such a good psychedelic experience. And I think life is kind of like that. And so when you, you know, when you die, you're having something that's comparable to a dream or a psychedelic experience, but it goes on forever. It's eternal. And I think the great religions that tell us, you know, if you're good, you go to heaven. If you're bad, you go to hell. But th- these, these are kind of simplified versions of reality. Reality is, yeah, if you die in the right place where your heart's been ultimately led to the right place because you did the right thing. And you did actually look for the truth, even though it was burdensome and so on. You're in a better place, and your experience of eternity will tend to be the more, you know, the, the, the very pleasant kind, right? The kind when people have those mystical experiences that are just ineffably beautiful, that's the paradise that awaits us if we die with a clean heart and conscience. And uh, hellfire is the opposite you know if we it's like a bad trip that lasts forever and if we die with a bad conscience and a, a bad heart because we've turned away from the truth we've been what the quran calls the ungrateful truth concealers that's the actual translate the better translation of the word kafir which is usually mistranslated as unbeliever well no it's it's ungrateful truth concealers. you die having ungratefully you know not grateful to god for existence because you've been lying to yourself and to others and stuff, and you've led an inauthentic life, and then you die, you're you're, ha- you're going to have a bad trip forever. <laughs> and, uh, and the other side, and if you've really done it right and become a saint uh, or the equivalent of a, a saint, uh, Wali Allah, as we call them here in Morocco, you experience a kind of paradise. And these Quranic descriptions of paradise with the Huris, the beautiful virgins, and the the best wine ever, and and the beautiful lush foliage and flowers and fruits and beverages and food and all this kind of stuff. This is, I think, an image. It's symbols, symbols and imagery of the ineffable joy that mystics tell us that we feel when we experience the full truth of existence and the gift of existence from God. And so that's what you, know, you, you when you die, you're going to have you're going to be somewhere between those two poles of heaven and hell, right? And if you've refused to face truth and you've done the wrong thing, you've tried to preserve your ego and your comfort and your pleasure and power in this world by lying and by avoiding uh, hard truths and hard ethical duties, you know. You get yours in the end. So ultimately, I think you know this is this is the message of, of the great religious traditions and spiritual traditions that life is ultimately just, and that's a good reason to pursue the truth. And so, you're, if you're not, if you're doing what so many people do and, and you know, act you're cowardly and you turn away from the truth, you're making a really big mistake, and you, you, you know you will live with the consequences and die with the consequences of it. And uh, your children may live with it too. The uh Native Americans have this thing called the seven generation principle. So think about what you're doing today, what you're saying, what you're not saying. What would the three generations who preceded you think of what you're doing right now? And what would the three generations that come after you make of what you've done or haven't done? Mm-hmm. Right. And of course, now we're in a position where we can say, you know, will there even be three generations after us? It's, there are a lot of very, you know, aware people who are looking at the future that we're creating with the kinds of technologies that are being played with and wondering, you know, what will our, our 
you know, great grandchildren be inheriting. You know, there's there's the uh, the singularity thing where you know these so-called progress in artificial intelligence, artificial life, and nanotechnology is likely to create the gray goo, this stuff that's just going to eat every eat up everything and you know transform every bit of matter and energy into itself. Uh, and I see you know, that's just one of the worst of the possible scenarios. But yeah, today. You know, if you think that way, that three generations ahead, three generations behind, one of the first things you need to do is, is say, wow, um, you know, what can I do to try to help us get off of this path where we might not even leave three generations ahead? Yeah, that sounds like a wise move, you know, under the circumstances. Kevin? Thank you so much for joining us today, bro, especially at such short notice and in the middle of the night. And you gave us an extra half hour of your time. Thank you immensely. Now, could you please, for the love of Allah, could you could you flog your wares and, 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 and should tell people where they can find you? Uh, I'm, I'm at truthjihad.com. That's all one word. And Kevin Barrett, that's K-E-V-I-N, B-A-R-R-E-T-T, all run together at substack.com. And do you go to like YouTube channels or something like that or any books? Yeah, I have a, I have a long list of books, uh, including We Are Not Charlie Hebdo, uh, Truth Jihad, uh, Questioning the War on Terror. And uh, I, I also write at uh, veteran or vtforeignpolicy.com, formerly Veterans Today, and the UNSReview, UNZ.com. Um, but again, uh, if you want to help me out, uh, the Substack is is my main platform right now, kevinbarrett.substack.com. What happened to old Duff um, at uh, Veterans Today? <laughs> I was just talking to him the other day, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, Duff, the former MJ-12 uh, you know, CIA guy. I'm, I'm allowed to say that. I don't think he's allowed to say CIA. He has to call it the post office. Uh, you know, he anyways. Yeah, he's he's still. You know, he, he he went flying off of a motorcycle head first through the window, the side window of an automobile at 40 miles an hour, and that would have been the end of most people. But he has a really thick skull and a hard head, and Gordon is still hanging in there. He's he's got a little bit of physical some physical issues. Uh, but he's uh, still pretty brilliant and uh, <laughs> inimitable. Yeah, so, uh, yeah, I was just talking with Gordon and Carol last night. And, uh, yeah, he's, he's, he's hanging in there. Um, my, my skull would have been crushed by I don't I don't think I would be here talking to you if I'd done that. I mean, I, I don't know how many uh, truth movement people I've interviewed over the years that have survived a near-death experience or something, but there's something about truth is that is very, very hard to kill them, generally speaking, but it's very, very easy for them to end their own lives through neglect or suicide or just not uh, taking care of themselves and their social situations and what have you, and it's, it's very sad to see so many uh, great names and faces that I've had on this show uh, pass away over the years and we and the memories we have of them are all that's left kevin thank you so much for your time bro and we'll, we'll see you again soon well thank you Vinny. it's great to touch base with you you're, you're looking great and uh and and you're as, as funny as ever man you had me rolling in the floor there with your intro so keep up the great work <laughs> thanks bro i get that a lot we'll see you again sometime ladies and gentlemen at the 
Vinny Eastwood Show. Tejibo Tea Club's original pure powdy Arco Super Tea helps build red corpuscles in the blood which carry oxygen to our organs and cells. Our organs and cells need oxygen to regenerate themselves. The immune system needs oxygen to develop and cancer dies in oxygen. So the tea is great for healthy people because it helps build the immune system and it can truly be miraculous for someone fighting a potentially life-threatening disease due to an infection, diabetes, or cancer. The tea is also organic and naturally caffeine-free. A one-pound package of tea is $49.95, which includes shipping. To order, please visit drinksupertea.com. The first word is drink, spelled D-R-I-N-K, then the word super, then the word tea. The complete website is drinksupertea.com. Or call us at 818-965-9113, Monday through Saturday, 9 a.m. to 5 p.m. California time. That's 818-965-9113. DrinkSuperTea.com. You can't handle the truth! You're listening to Republic Broadcasting Network. Visit RepublicBroadcasting.org today because you can handle the truth. 